hello. Yes, it's time to introduce a new intro for the Film Geek Collective. So, I'm going to go ahead and do this little ditty called Welcome to the Show by Kevin MacLeod. Public domain music from Incompetech.com. Without further ado, let's start the show. Welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Today we're going to be shouting out Rose Bagali, Nathan Seabolt, Tessie Cat, Ashy Slashy, Elsie Cool, Mandy, aka at Cherry Cyanide, who runs Little Geek Lust, Real Sharks, Heavenly Imaginings, Mary Amber, and Film Mamatic. I hope I pronounced that right. And today, yeah, black and white it is. That is the topic. And let me correct myself from earlier, viewers are actually listeners. I said viewers in the past episodes, but no matter, I will say listeners from now on. And now, let's get into the nitty gritty. So we're going to get right into it with the fact that uh, black and white has been a cinematic standard for a long time, way before colour came onto the scene. So yeah, I mean black and white and colour can sometimes mix together really well, like when Dorothy opens the door to Oz in The Wizard of Oz, for example. But in the other hand, you know, black and white things can hide certain colours. Like Superman's cape, you traditionally see it as red, right? Well, black and white prefers more contrasty sorts of colours. Superman's cape used to be brown when George Reeves was in the role. And yeah... Psycho's blood was also chocolate syrup. You see, brown as red translates really well through the black and white film stock. And even so, if you're filming in colour and going to black and white, you know, you got to have that certain thing going on. <coughs> so yeah, the main four components of black and white are shadows, lighting, textures, and contrast. And basically, without them, no cinematography, <laughs> if you don't have them at least every so often, you know? Black and white can be many things. It can be used for romantic films. It can be used for horror. It can be used for comedies. Not necessarily innocent, because I was just going to mention Clerks. (laughs) But also, black and white can be used where colour's not necessary. If you're not particularly using a colour scheme, character dramas that don't have a colour scheme, or, or horror that relies heavily on shadows and contrast. Yeah, so there's that. But also... There's another thing going on today, <clears throat> mainly action movies by directors being regraded into black and white. For example, Mad Max Fury Road, which, directed by George Miller, the latest instalment in the Mad Max franchise as of recording, he once saw a black and white print of The Road Warrior without sound, and he thought that was the best way to view Fury Road, of course, with the sound. <coughs> now, keep in mind, I never saw the whole thing yet, but... I'll get around to uh, eventually watching all the Mad Max films. I think I've seen the first two. They're back on the topic. The one I have seen is Logan Noir. <clears throat> they had the contrast boosted, the lighting accentuated for be- better black and white visuals. Because you see, there was a promotional campaign that Logan had where everything was being promoted in black and white. It was one last ride for Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart are both in this movie and they give it their all. And you got to know something about Wolverine to truly appreciate it, you know. That was me charging my phone if you heard a sound in the background, but no matter. So this begs the question, experimenting with colour films in black and white. I would say that Blade Runner is an excellent candidate for this. 
and something that's a somewhat different but equally noir-like film, Dark City, will look really good this way. Trust me, I've, I've tried at least half of Blade Runner in black and white, and it looks amazing. The lighting is so well done already in colour by uh, one of the Cronenwets, who was the director of photography. His name was Jordan Cronenweth, who uh, worked most famously on Blade Runner, but also worked on a bunch of films that, well, I'm still, I'm still, you know, going to see a bunch of films. Like, <coughs> he's supposedly worked on Rolling Thunder, Altered States, Stop Making Sense, which was the Talking Heads concert film, Peggy Sue Got Married, and a uh, bunch of things. His final film was Final Analysis, appropriately titled, really. February 20th, 1935 to November 29, 1996, in which he was succeeded by his son in this field, Jeff Cronenworth, who has helped on uh, David Fincher films such as Fight Club, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Gone Girl. Now, I wanted to mention them because they're quite important in cinematography, these two, much like Roger Deakins. And yeah, speaking of Roger Deakins, he's done some stuff in black and white, but we're not mainly talking about cinematographers here. We're, we're also going to talk about how you can use black and white to better your work. And I want to run you through everything, so let's go. Yeah, so... I Where was I? Let's see. When you want a lo-fi feel, use the clerks method. Clerks only shot black and white because light, lighting was easier. You know, you don't need different types of lights that you would have for colour film. Lights were much simpler and their budget was only 27000 before Miramax picked them up. But one method that's especially effective is the chiaroscuro method. Steven Spielberg uses this in his films quite often, most of them in colour, but he has used it in Schindler's List also, because it stands out especially in black and white. Chiaroscuro is, for those who don't know, when you have a singular light source, like a window or a door in an otherwise dark room, or, you know, you have a semi-dark room, but you have just maybe one light in there. <laughs> also, smoke, liquids, even fire, they can look good in black and white, mainly because of texture. However, the smoke naturally being a light grey especially stands out, and candles stand out too, because, yeah, these little small lights... There's an episode of Friends I actually converted to black and white. Uh, that was the one where they have a blackout. I'm sure that's not the official episode title, going with the one with the naming. I mean, one of the points is, you two should try black and white photography. Yes, I say photography, because photography will help you with the cinematography. If you know how a still picture looks, you'll know that a moving picture can look even better. You can keep the camera still, you can move the camera, you can you can compose. It's Movies are as much artistry as, you know, <coughs> I don't know how to describe it, really. It's artistry. <laughs> yeah, you two should try it. You practice lighting with candles, torches, car lights, even photos of neon signs outside establishments. It really strips an image to its basics. You can still edit it later, maybe give it some contrast or high contrast. High contrast works really well in black and white. Textures, as I said, also work quite well. Like, if you have a frothy beer mug, which uh, I seem to see a lot in Edgar Wright films like The World's End, yeah, like, the foam in the beer will especially stand out, while the water... No, sorry! Shh, gah! 
while the water is not water, I meant <laughs> alcohol. You see, I leave a few mistakes in so I seem human. Also, the bubbles that go through the liquid. Every texture stands out more, and sometimes colour can really distract. The reason that Roman Holiday, the Audrey Hepburn movie, was released in black and white by Paramount was because they really didn't want Rome distracting from the core of the story, from Audrey Hepburn and her co-star. Moving on, it'd be intensely distracting, for example, if the classic show The Addams Family were in colour. That's right, The Addams Family. I'm going to give you a fact you may not have known. It has pink sets. You heard that right? Pink. The the gothic atmosphere would be mostly, if not wholly gone. As I said earlier, the contrasting colours, the deeper colours you need to really bring things out in black and white, like brown for red. Experiment and you'll see. But conversely, Get Smart was initially in black and white for the pilot before it turned to colour. What if the show stayed black and white? You could try turning the colour down on your set. Like with the uh, Dark City and Blade Runner experiment I proposed earlier, you can turn the colour down on anything and see the basics of construction. Steven Soderbergh, not Spielberg, but Soderbergh, has made his own cut of Raiders of the Lost Ark with techno music over it, and it's in black and white. And there's no sound from the film, so you can see all the visual things that go into it. You know? It's an interesting experiment to see, really. Some shows pull black and white to colour successfully, such as Lost in Space in its first season was black and white, before it went to colour. I Dream of Genie in its first season, and believe it or not, Bewitched in its first two seasons. The first two seasons of Bewitched are, in fact, often colourised to match the rest of the show, and are done well. However, these two seasons that begun it were originally intended in black and white. So, yeah... (laughs) I'm pretty sure America has editions like that if you want to import. I discussed last episode how you should totally go region free so you can get exclusive editions and uh, maybe better special features, particularly with Criterion. But yeah, it refers to the last episode if you want to hear more about that. Colourful films can be visually spectacular. Like 2014's The Grand Budapest Hotel, which I watched just before recording. Man, does it use colour well. 1977's Suspiria by Dario Argento, and 1958's Vertigo from Alfred Hitchcock. But black and white when done right can be equally so. After all, Alfred Hitchcock directed Vertigo, one of the best examples of colour, and then two years later, Psycho, one of the best-looking black and white films, was made by the same guy. So, indeed, you can master both. To be fair to Psycho, though, the reason for the cheap black-and-white filming and the low budget of the time was because Alfred Hitchcock was refused by Paramount. Paramount didn't want to adapt the book, and so he went behind their backs and filmed it like he would an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He originally intended to open the film with a crane shot toward the window, but had to compromise. Thus, the 1998 colour remake has that. So, yeah... Yeah, he ended up releasing it through Paramount, and it uh, broke censorship taboo. So that's a little story about Psycho I got. So black and white may have been brought on by necessity, but, you know, (laughs) it was a great stylistic choice. I cannot, cannot imagine Psycho in colour. That would just be pure hell. 
So yeah, indeed you can master color and black and white. Also, Blade Runner mentioned before looks absolutely excellent in color. This is my time for a disclaimer. It looks e equally beautiful in black and white, but however such experiments to turn films to black and white were not truly the creator's intention and are for just that, experimental purposes only. Think of it as an alternate fan-made way of viewing and when watching Blade Runner, be sure to watch it in color before you can experiment with it. There's also, forgive me if this sounds slightly pretentious, but I hope you know where I'm going. There's a certain timelessness to black and white, and while films like Casablanca and Citizen Kane are very much of their era, and yet still timeless, this applies to more recent films too, like 1974's Young Frankenstein or 1994's Clerks, set in their time yet still appearing timeless. Somewhat timeless at least. In some ways, colour can date a work. Black and white doesn't make something entirely timeless, but it's certainly nostalgic. Nostalgia is almost timeless by itself, you know? You can feel nostalgia at any time you wanted. You could feel nostalgia for the previous decade you were in, in fact. And don't get me started on colorization. It's a wonderful life had a hack job made of it. And Ted Turner wanted to take his crayons and ruin films clearly composed for black and white. Hell, if he had his way, Orson Welles wouldn't have won his battle to not make Citizen Kane in colour. Orson Welles never wants Citizen Kane to even be available in colour. It's simply a different discipline, filming something in black and white, not something you can easily slap colours onto. There's a quote in Roger Ebert's It's a Wonderful Life review about that that I implore you to search up. I mean, bloody hell, when does colorization end? Is colorization merely because of Philistines who just won't watch black and white? <sighs> they just won't for some reason. Colorization looks ugly. It's tacky. And I just, I can't stand it. Every time I watch It's a Wonderful Life, if it's color version, I have to turn the color down just because I forgot to buy a black and white version. But that ended, luckily, because it's in black and white on streaming now. And I'm going to see it in the cinema, hopefully in black and white. Point is, I must see a film as it was originally intended. So on the flip side of the coin, I should mention films that mix selective colour into black and white. Sin City for key plot elements, and Pleasantville in its whole concept. Brother and sister travelling into a wholesome 1950s show when colour starting to appear. Selective colour can also be used very inventively. Also, like in the 2009 Australian stop-motion film Mary and Max, which is rather good. If you can find Mary and Max anywhere, Mary and Max, it's called, you should definitely watch it. It's about a middle-aged guy on the autism spectrum, I think he has Asperger's, and uh, an eight-year-old girl, they become pen pals. And he's in America, she's in Australia. But it uses selective colour, like a flower pins to Mary's hair. And, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. What else do you need? The guy was in Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love and was a Paul Thomas Anderson collaborator till he died. So, yeah. There are also films that masterfully mix black and white scenes with full colour scenes. Kill Bill features a number of black and white scenes, and I'm counting it all as one film, but the first 15 minutes from the second half of the movie are entirely in black and white, and it looks gorgeous. 
Kill Bill uses it mainly for flashbacks, but Memento inverts this and uses it in a very great way to signify time going forward in the present day, using its full colour scenes to signify time going backward, a replication of the protagonist's short-term memory loss. And then there's a more straightforward use of it in American History X. The past in black and white, the present in colour. But my favourite use of this is definitely Memento. It's just great how that how the timelines are forward and backward and yeah. On the note of Young Frankenstein, take a cue from it. Just because it's a comedy does not mean you can get lazy with the look or the content. Anchorman was quite good with keeping the look, as tenuously connected to reality as it was. But still, even if you don't like, even if you don't like Anchorman, you've got to give credit for that. It's probably harder to make people laugh than to engage them in a story, in my opinion. I mean, engaging's already pretty hard. Comedies should aspire to look as good as their contemporaries. Alrighty. Also, what other points have I got to make now? Well, I'm going to keep you here a little longer. Monochromatic does not just mean black and white. It can mean one colour, like the tints of red or green or whatever in the silent film days. Film stocks were even created pre-tinted, and this created certain moods like a variant of black and white but with a singular colour. Either that, or you had to physically hand colour things, like some prints of the short film, A Trip to the Moon. Indeed, the thing the Wizard of Oz does is use sepia at the beginning and end, pre-tinted. I can agree to it because it's farm-like, but I disagree it's good at in a way. Because her opening the door to Oz works better if it's grayscale black and white than full colour, creating more jarring contrast. Again, it depends on your point of view, but I wish the beginning were black and white and not merely a monochromatic with the yellow-brown tint, also known as sepia tone. And finally, one great example of how to use black and white is get a room at night with the lights out and a torch. Shine it on your face like you're telling a Halloween story. But obviously not too much into your eyes. You've got to protect those things, those beauties. Uh, save, convert to black and white, and you've got a cool, minimalist image with Chiaroscuro. Experiment, keep tinkering, and you will go far. Thank you so much again for listening, my listeners. See, I said listeners this time, not viewers. That's a whole nother ballpark. I would also like to say I have something to celebrate if I haven't already. You know, my account's going going over a thousand a thousand subscribers. I, I can't believe it myself. But again, it's time to give the shout-outs. Shout-outs to Rose Begali, Nathan Seabolt, Tessie Cat, Ashy Slashy, LC Cool, Mandy, aka Cherry Cyanide, who runs Little Geek Lost, Real Sharks, aka Riwashaku in Japanese, Heavenly Imaginings, Mary Amber, and Phil Mamatic. Film Mamatic, that is. Yep. So may I say, well, <laughs> what do I say again? No, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. It's all good. You're always welcome here at the Film Geek Collective. And don't you forget it.